Hi, welcome to New Hope Community Church Online. The sermon you are about to hear was originally given by Pastor Chuck Wilson. New Hope Community Church, to know, to live, and to share Jesus Christ. So the title today, though, and we were supposed to do this last week, uh, but we, Mike and Lori wanted a, a romantic week, so they wanted candlelight for the whole week, you know, for their anniversary. So they, they didn't get their power until Friday. <laughs> they told me, I said, don't turn it on, keep it off, keep the candlelights going for the whole week. It's your anniversary. So this was supposed to be last week, so we're, we're to Matthew 5, 5 today, and it's, the title is The Wimps Win. The Wimps Win. Now, you remember in gym class... There were kids who were athletic and kids that weren't athletic, the jocks and, like, the nerds. And some of you here may have been a nerd, some of you may have been a jock, but I'm not trying to judge any of that. I just want to point something out. It's interesting that, now looking back all these years later, the kids who were the the so-called gym class nerds, uh, the ones who weren't real athletic, kind of, you know, the the, the more athletic ones, the jocks would you know, make fun of them or look down on them. But it's ironic because there's a flip-flop now. As all these years looking back, the kids who are the nerds now are on the top. They have the best jobs and they, you know, are doing really well. And those the jocks are working for them often, you know, typically, right? And it, it's not 100%, but typically there's been a big flip-flop on, you know, the, the, the sports heroes are now working for those nerds, you know. Uh, the, most of the people that run the you know, Facebook and the internet and all those things, they were, they'll tell you, they were gym class nerds. And there's been this giant, giant flip-flop now. Um, the, the, we're going to see a similar flip-flop today here in Matthew chapter 5 with what the people that the world considers wimps, that's the meek. The meek, okay? Because really, being meek is the opposite of the world's philosophy. The, today, the philosophy is be tough and push people around and Put yourself first and, you know, trash talking in the sports, you know, that those are the most popular athletes, the trash talkers, and, and on and on and on. You get the point, right? And if you use the word meek, it's, it's almost like, you know, it's some kind of disease, you know, you know, and they look down on anybody who considers themselves meek, you know, it's like a, a put down. Now, part of that is because it's very much, much misunderstood, which we're going to see here from the Bible here, what meek really means. But most of the world thinks of the meek. They think of biblical, even what the Bible, what Jesus talked about meek, is, is wimpy, right? They look down on it. But we're going to see a big flip-flop that, first of all, the misunderstanding on what meek is, but we're also going to see a flip-flop on those who are true biblically meek, What's going to happen in the end? It's going to be a flip-flop just like we saw in our gym class formula uh, success. We've been talking about the secret to true happiness, and this is just an amazing passage, isn't it? We've been in here in the, the, the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount, and we're talking about the secret to true happiness. Now, this isn't just the emotional happiness. Remember, we talked about this. It's not just the, the emotional happiness based on good circumstances. That's not the happiness that Jesus is talking about, the blessed that, this, that he's talking about. He's talking about something much, much deeper, much, much deeper, the supernatural joy that we can have because of our right relationship with God, no matter what our circumstances are, no matter what we're going through. That's what Jesus is talking about. And his formula, formula, I use that, you know, that way, but... but is mind-altering. It's radically different from the world. And each one of these steps, each of these verses in 
nine different characteristics builds on the one before that. We talked first about, and if you weren't here, get the tapes or go on the, the website and listen to the podcast, because the, each one will make more sense if you know about the one before that. They kind of build on each other. They're like steps, nine steps to happiness. And the first one is to be poor in spirit, which was, remember, to realize that we're hopeless and helpless without Jesus Christ and without, without God. We're totally dependent on God. Then we talked about mourning was the next one. And that's being mourning over our, our lost condition, grieving over our lost condition and the sin in our life that's against God. And that's, that's where we find the comfort because of that. And we find that true fulfillment once we reach that place. And then today we come to the third one, the next one, which is meek. That's the next step. And the, the meekness is the, the broken will. We'll see this, the broken will, the bro- breaking of our stubborn spirit, of our vengeful spirit that we have. And we open our hearts and open our spirit to what God wants. That's the next step in this, this one. And it's maybe even the hardest one of all, as we'll see in a few minutes. Let's pray first. Father, we thank you for bringing us together today after a year of an earthquake, <laughs> the flood, the hurricane and a snowstorm. We thank you that you've, we've able to come together and worship today. And we just pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to our hearts. We ask for your mercy and grace to work through us and prepare us for communion, not just this morning, but communing with you all throughout this week and a life of communion. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Matthew 5, 5. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Who wants it, right? <laughs> but there's more to it. I'm, I'm, I'm kidding. There's more to it. Jesus is quoting from Psalm 37, 1 through 11. I'm going to read the first 11 verses, actually verse 11. But listen to this. It's right from the psalm. He starts out, and there's some really good stuff here about not fretting when evil men triumph and delighting ourselves in the Lord. Just wild stuff, but he ends with verse 11. Do not fret because of evil men or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they soon wither. Like the green plants, they will soon die away. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desire of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will do this. He will make your righteousness shine like the dawn, the justice of your cause like the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when men succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret, it only leads to evil. For evil men will be cut off, but those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. A little while, and the wicked will be no more. Though you look for them, they will not be found. But the meek will inherit the land and enjoy great peace. And Jesus is quoting, we're going to come back to that verse a little bit later, but Jesus is quoting this verse right out of Psalm. And now, first of all, we have to clear up a very big misunderstanding. What biblical meekness is not. Biblical meekness is not that you are a total wimp. Remember, back to the future, McFly, Marty McFly's dad, McFly, and Biff, and Biff comes in and pushes McFly around. I got that right, the name's right. And he, McFly, hello, McFly, you know, he knocks on his head, you know, I remember that, and he just, whatever he wants, whatever Biff wants, Biff gets, McFly does his homework, gives him money, 
on and on and on and on, you know. He tries to take his girlfriend, the whole thing. And that's, a lot of people think that's what meekness means. You've got to become a McFly, you know, for all the biffs of the world. And that's not biblical, uh, biblical meekness, all right? It doesn't mean that you let people walk all over us without any boundaries. Boundaries are biblical. You know, there's a place and time for that. We're going to see it's quite a lot different from that. It's also, biblical meekness is also not a laid-back personality. Some people are aggressive and some people are laid back naturally, all right? That's not biblical meekness. That's just a personality thing, okay? Some people are just laid back. They don't want to make waves. They're not competitive, very easygoing, and as a result, easy to be around, all right? Some kids are naturally compliant. I wish I had one of them. But uh, no, it's, uh, some, you know, some are just naturally compliant and they're, they're easy to parent. You know, you know what I'm talking about, parents. You know, some you're going to battle all the time and some you just... Oh, they could all be like that, right? But now, it's easy to be around someone who's naturally like that, but it can also be a defect. It can also become a, a, a spiritual defect, a character defect, because people who are laid back, just as people are too aggressive, it's kind of easy to figure out what, what the problems are, but also being too laid back is a problem because they never launch, you know? They never get out there. They never fight the battles that need fighting. Uh, it's hard to motivate someone like that oftentimes for ministry or to do what needs to be done. So there, just as there's negatives with being too outgoing and too type A personality, there's also dangers to being too laid back and too compliant. So there's no right or wrong personality. That's my point. There's no right or wrong personality. There's pros and cons. There's strengths and weaknesses of all. And, and, but I, the one thing I do want to mention is that this is not what it's talking about. Just because somebody's easygoing doesn't mean they're meek. All right? Uh, it, it, that's not biblical meekness, okay? None of the Beatitudes here that we're looking at here in Matthew 5 are natural. Not one of them is, is natural, okay? Especially meekness. Even if someone who's laid back, a lot of times there's that quiet rebellion, right? There's that quiet rebellion. Some of you know what I'm talking about. You're like that. You know, uh, you know there can be that quiet rebellion that, that fights meekness. It's a, it's a whole different thing. The, these are not natural things, especially meekness. Meekness is a God thing. It's not natural, but supernatural. Supernatural. It's when God takes someone who's bad-tempered, <laughs> resentful, overbearing. You know the pers- kind of person I'm talking about. The kind of person that when you're driving down the road and someone cuts them off and they're like, blankety, 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 blank, and then they try to pass the person back again, and they, you know, they're driving them off the road, road rage, and nobody here like that, I know, but you might know someone like that. Uh, that uh, when it, God takes that kind of person, or even a person who's laid back, but has the quiet rebellion. See, we all have something, right? Takes that quiet rebellion, and takes that person and develops someone who's yielding, quiet before God, develops gentleness and forgiving and forbearing with other people. It's, it's the opposite of self I, I, I love this one commentary. Arthur Pink, he's been gone for a long time with the Lord, wrote back in the 50s, and I love his, his um, commentaries. I just love it. And I was looking up what he said about this Matthew 5, 5, and he said, it's the opposite of self-will toward God and ill-will toward people. That's meekness. It's a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5, 22 to 23, and I always mess this up. I always mess, but the fruit of the Spirit, help me with this, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, 
and self-control against such things there is no law. The gentleness, it's the same word is for me here. It's the same, same word, okay? That's, that's the fruit, only the Holy Spirit. It's not something you can create. It's not something you have as a natural personality. It's something that only the Holy Spirit can do inside of you, is that meekness. Now, how does God accomplish meekness in our life? Since we can't do it, and we can't become it, and we can't change our personality, and it doesn't matter if we're real aggressive or real laid back, we still have, God's got to develop this meekness in us. How do we, how does he accomplish this? I'll give you a hint. The Greek word for meekness, the root, the Greek root for, uh, comes from the same word for breaking an animal. Huh. As in a horse. Now, I grew up on a farm, as you know. And how do you break a horse? It depends on the horse, right? Some horses are real laid back, and it's not that hard to break them. You kind of put a bridle on them, you walk them around, you put a saddle on, you know, a blanket on them, you keep patting them on the back, and, and just one time you just climb up, and they're okay with it. A little uncomfortable, and they realize you're not going to hurt them. They're okay. Some horses, they're hard to break. Just like people, right? Some people are, God can break fairly easy, and other ones of us are of a very... Hard head, right? And it's a lot harder to break. And, and that's, that's, that's how God does. He has to break. Just like we break a horse, he has to break us. The same thing. When I was eight, I got, I think I was about eight, I got my first pony. I always wanted a pony, really badly. And my parents found me a pony. Everybody has horses where I grew up. And they found me a pony. And I was so excited because, um, and I named him Bullet. And I named him Bullet because, number one, I wanted to be a cowboy really badly. I thought I was a cowboy. I guess I was a cowboy, uh, but I grew up on a cow farm. But, but also, he was fast. This pony was really fast, all right? And I rode him almost every day. I tried to ride him every day. He was already broken. He was saddle broke, but he wasn't broken, all right? There's a big difference between saddle breaking and breaking. And he did not like to be ridden. He liked corn. He was addicted to corn. And wherever there was corn, as in a corn crib, that's where he wanted to be. And he just stood around all day and thought about where the corn was. I'm convinced of this, right? And he, he just wanted corn. And he, he knew every trick in the book to get me off of his back and try to get to the corn crib. Even with his bridle in his mouth, he would get there and he'd be eating corn with a bridle in his mouth. That's how, how much he loved corn. And, and he would puff up his stomach at first. He would always puff out his stomach. And I'd put the saddle on, I'd get on, he'd breathe out, and I'd flop, flop off with the saddle, you know. And he'd run off, and I'd be laying there under his hooves. And, and I'd find him, and I'd take a stick, and I'd chase him. I couldn't catch him. I was so mad. At, boy, we had it out, this bullet and I. And, uh, and then he also would try to get me off of his back by running under tree branches. And he would look for the tree branch that was low. He, he, this pony was smart, right? He would run under the branches, and, and, if, and I would either knock, some, he'd knock me off, or I learned to just grab the branch and hang on. And I'm hanging on the branch, and he's running off to the corn crab, you know, and I'm chasing him with a stick again, you know. And, uh, and then he also, I finally started using a sulky. You know what a sulky is? Those little two-wheeled things that they race horse races with, and I'd put the sulky on him, and I'd ride him around, but then he would always, he would, whenever he wanted this corn, he would just look for a little space, and I'll never forget the one time he went between the tractor and the baler, and there was just a little space for him, but not the sulky, he went boom right through that, and the sulky went flying off, and I went flying off into the baler, and he just, he just, oh, got my stick, all right, uh, this pony was, was mean, all right, he was a mean, mean pony, 
And the only way to get him to run, because I, I wanted to be a cowboy, and I love to go fast on a horse, pony, uh, here. But I wanted to, the only way I could get him to run is I would go down the lane. I wanted to race down the lane. He wouldn't. He would just walk down the lane real slow, because every step was taking him further from the corn crib, right? And he would just walk, walk, walk. And, and I finally figured it out. I forced him to walk down the lane as far as I could get him, and then he would just kind of quit. I turn him around. Torn the court crib, and he would go like a bullet. You know, you boom. He would. I would just have the ride of my life till I got near the bell or a tree branch, right? I'd have the ride of my life, and he would just want to get to that corn crib to get that. He would just go like crazy. <clears throat> now I finally got sick of him. I finally got sick of him, and I got a little older, and I gave him to my little sister. She's seven years younger. Her name is Kelly. I gave him to Kelly, and she loved the pony. As only a little girl could love a horse or a pony. You know what I'm talking about? Just that, that love of her life was her pony, Bullet. And, and he was good for her. He never hurt her. He never knocked her off. She didn't really ride him too much. She just kept feeding him corn. You know, she, she spoiled this pony, you know? And he had this great relationship, and, and I, I was frustrated, but she loved this pony. And I remember... Um, uh, I remember I was like 15 about, and she was about 8 at this time, and she was getting ready to go away on vacation with my, with my parents, and they were just taking the, my younger sisters, not the three older boys who were teenagers. They left us in charge of the farm. That's a whole other story. But anyway, they, uh, <coughs> the, <laughs> they still don't know the rest of that, that story. But uh, they were getting ready to go on vacation, and, and I, was, I was trying to get her to do my chores or something. We got in a fight, and I said, come on, do my chores. No, you do your own chores, and I, was like, and, 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 you know, I got really mad at her, and we got in fighting, and I said, if you, don't do my, if you don't do what I say, when you go on vacation this week, I'll kill your pony. And she said, no, you won't. Yes, I will. No, you won't. Yes, I will. We still talk like this. Now, you know, we, still, we still fight like this, right? I said, I'll kill your pony. So she, she didn't listen to me. She goes off on vacation. And I went out to feed the pony on vacation, and he was dead. <laughs> he was dead. <laughs> dead, right? So I'm like, oh, my goodness. So I called, we, when my parents called the check-in before cell phones. They called once in a while. And, and they called the check-in, and we said, you better tell Kelly, you know, the pony's dead, because we knew she'd be really upset when she got home. It would be a shock. So, so they, get, they, they broke it to her, and, and they get home. And I remember they, they get home, and she right away, she went running right out to the pony barn, right out there, and she's standing in the doorway, and she's so sad. The pony's still there before the coyotes came around there. And uh, there, there's coy- the, the pony's there. And she's really sad, and I come up next to her, and it was like one of those Hallmark made-for-TV brother-sister bonding moments. And, and I said to her, see, I told you I'd kill the pony. <laughs> she went running it out. He did kill it. I told you he killed it. You know? And to this day, she thinks I killed her pony and got away with it. She really does think that, even though, I, even though you know, it's, we're older. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. He's not a nice person. I was teasing Erica this week about trick-or-treating, you know, not judging anything, you know, you know whatever age you want to trick-or-treat, that's all right. but, but she went as Rocky, I was kidding her, because first of all, who here knows who Rocky is? Okay, does anybody, well, let's do that. who doesn't know who Rocky is? Okay, few people, I, she said nobody knew who she was, so, you know, the Rocky, and so I was giving her a hard time, I was teasing her, and she said, she wrote back on the email, she said, you know, Chuck, I wrote it down here, you are cleverly disguised as a nice man. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, 
I am not naturally meek. I, mean, I don't know if that's going to shock anybody here. I am mean. Don't, don't be surprised when I'm mean. Be surprised when I'm nice. All right? Be surprised when I'm meek and nice. That's, that's, that's when you should be surprised. You know what? We're all mean, aren't we? We're all selfish. We're all nasty. And deep down, if, think if every, we could all hear what we all say in our own house about other people. Right? What if we really... <laughs> I wish I did know you. So, uh, think about that. What if our closest friends knew what we really said? What if our family members knew what we really said? You know what I'm saying? What if the coach, what if the teacher... What if we really you know, could... You know, and God does hear all this, right? But, but we're not. We're all mean. We all need to be broken like a pony, like that pony, before we become meek and do what God wants instead of what we want. That's what becoming meek is all about. Getting to the place that we'll do what God wants instead of what we want. And God accomplishes this meekness through discipline. Just like I tried to accomplish for bullet. God accomplishes it through discipline, through trials, through hardships, through correction. And as we go through this, this discipline from God, we learn to accept God's will versus our own agenda. We, get to, we learn to accept God's word even when we don't like it or don't fully understand what it's all about. We learn to accept what God allows in our life as good. And we learn to trust him without resisting him we learn to, to trust him without resistance. Remember Jesus on the cro- when he's going to the cross? Father, take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. We do the same thing. God, not what you, if, if it's okay with you, could you take this out of my life, but not what I want, but what you want. That's the prayer of a, of a meek person. The prayer of Jesus. And it's okay to pray that the trial goes away, but at the same time, we're like, God, but what, whatever you want. That's that meekness that God has tried to accomplish in our life. And when we, in our newfound meekness, <laughs> it creates a disposition, that, that disposition before God changes our attitude toward other people. That's what it changes. We learn to be patient with other people. Because we're meek before God, we learn it changes the way that we treat other people, the way that we react to other people. Colossians 3, 12 to 14. I, you know, we've talked about this before, but it's a great one. In Colossians 3, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you and that's what comes out in our life the fruit of the spirit results in this kind of relationship with other people we're no longer criticizing people constantly or we don't enjoy catching people when they're doing something wrong or or gossiping about it or or you know we don't enjoy disciplining our children we do it because we have to we don't enjoy it you know it changes our whole that meekness changes everything how we treat other people because we're meek before god and we we, we learn to handle um, insults and injuries in a whole new way when we're in a meek place. Now, I know this comes and goes, right? You know, as if we're in the spirit, we're meek, and when we're not, we're mean, right? It's like the barometer, right? But, but, but when we're in the, that right place with God, we handle insults and injuries in a whole new way. If a car cuts us off, hey, have a nice day. I know you're probably in a hurry. Go ahead, you know. It's, it, you know what I'm talking about? 
we do get to that place where it just doesn't eat us up just because someone cut us off. But we, we learn to have a whole different spirit about it. We, we don't flip out even when we're right about something. We don't flip out. We, we, we have a different way of, we, we keep our cool and, and the way we say things comes out all differently. We accept and receive correction and admonishment from whomever God chooses. And it isn't, isn't it interesting who God chooses? It's usually the last person we want him to choose. He usually chooses the last person we want to receive anything from to really teach us a lesson, isn't it? Doesn't he? Isn't that what he usually does? And, but that's, see, that's the test. That's the meek test. Sometimes even in ministry, I'll, someone will say, I, gotta, I want to deal with this area, and I'll assign, connect them with someone to do it, and they'll say, I don't like that person. So that's all the more reason why you need to learn it from them. That's the meek test. If someone really wants God to work, we, we receive it from whoever God chooses. That's that meek test, right? <clears throat> you see, meekness is not natural. It's supernatural. Also, meekness is not, and this is important, meekness is not weakness. A lot of people in the world think of meekness as weakness, but it's not. It's just the opposite. Zephaniah 3.12, when he's talking about uh, future Jerusalem and how God, this is actually the second coming, and how God is going to come, and Jesus is coming again, and he's going to leave within Jerusalem. He says, but I will leave within you the meek and humble who trust in the name of the Lord. Now, that's an end times prophecy there, but also it says something about what meekness is. Meekness isn't weakness. It's someone who trusts in the name of the Lord. That's like saying, I'm not going to depend on my own strength. I'm going to depend on Superman. Are you stronger by yourself or with Superman? I'm not going to fight this battle with my fists. I'm going to use a you know, bazooka. You know, where are you stronger? With the bazooka, right? And, and that's what meekness is. Meekness is not weak. We're stronger. When we depend on God, we're stronger. We don't, now, now we're strong. We don't have to respond to personal insults and injuries because we're strong enough to take it because we have God's strength. We, we have supernatural power to go through trials and to grow from them now. We are not wimpy, but we stand up for God's cause and God's people. See, just when we're meek doesn't mean we don't stand up for a cause. We fight many battles. We still fight them, but we fight them with God's strength and God's way. Numbers 12.3. Numbers 12.3, talking about Moses, said, Now Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. Moses, Mr. Humble. Read it. Very humble guy. And yet, remember, you all saw the Ten Commandments. Comes down, they're worshiping the golden calf, smashes the Ten Commandments, gets a bunch of guys with swords and goes through and, and they kill all the people that were worshiping the golden calf. Kill them. That's a meek man, though, the most meek man. Doesn't mean we don't fight battles. God's way, God's call. He was told by God to do that, by the way. It doesn't mean we don't fight the battles. Jesus, very, very meek. Nobody was more meek than Jesus Christ. And yet, he whipped the temple into shape, right? He went into that temple and whack, whack, whack with the temple. He cursed the Pharisees. You brood of vipers, how you escape being condemned to hell? You know, he condemned them, cursed them. He was a, a very meek man, and yet it doesn't mean that we aren't strong and fight the right battle, but it's God's way. We're depending on God. See, meekness, I'm going to give you a definition. I asked them to make the slide on this one. Meekness, think of it as this. Submission to God... Plus dependence on God's strength equals supernatural power for life. That's 
biblical meekness. Biblical meekness. And I'll make sure I get that on the website, too, for the podcast. Is Karen here? I don't think she's here. Uh, podcast definition. Okay. If I can read my own writing. Uh, so anyway, the, um, <clears throat> the submission to God plus dependence on God's strength equals supernatural power for life. No matter what we're facing. No matter what we're going through. So many of us times we feel like, are, you ever feel this way? I'm sure you do. My world is cr- falling apart around me. But when it falls apart around us and we're meek, we say, God, help me. And it could still be falling apart around us, but we have a, a strength to go through it. That's what meekness is all about. That's what Jesus is talking about. And he says the result of meekness is that we'll inherit the land. Remember Psalm thirty-seven, eleven. God would reward the meek, the faithful. They were going to get a, according to in the book of Psalms, they were going to get a, a physical inheritance in the land of Israel, the promised land. They were given a physical inheritance if they were meek, if they trusted in God, if they were put their faith in God. Zephaniah three twelve. We talked about the future, but when when Jesus comes again, he's going to the 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 Jewish people in Jerusalem, the remnant that's looking for him, that is faithful and, 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 and God is called out, they're going to get a, a part of Jerusalem in the end times, okay? But there's a, this is really a spiritual fulfillment, too. That's the whole point here. You see, the promised land, Canaan in the Old Testament, that's a, new, that's a, a physical picture of a spiritual truth. We're today not looking forward to a piece of this earth. We can't wait to get out of here, right? Someday, when our time is complete. But the Old Testament picture is of a New Testament promise and reality for us. And ours is not a physical land. It's a spiritual land. It's a spiritual life here on earth that we, we, we are battling for. And the end result is going to be heaven someday. That's the ultimate gift, right? You see, what happened is Adam, think of this. I'll connect the dots here. Adam was the first man. He lost the right to this planet Earth. When he didn't submit meekly to God's command, and he sinned, he rebelled against God, and when he did that, he lost the right to rule this land. He lost the Earth. It became Satan's dominion, the prince of this world. Jesus, the second Adam... Romans 5, the second Adam, the God-man, Jesus Christ, came to earth and he submitted to God. He never sinned. He never gave in. He never did his own agenda. He submitted to God. He said, take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. He went to the cross to pay for Adam's sin, to pay for all of our sin. He paid for it. He took the punishment on himself. God's wrath on himself, God's holy justice on himself. He submitted, and he regained the right to rule this planet. He regained the right to rule this planet, and not only to rule the planet, but to have a relationship with God the Father. He opened the way for all of us to have that relationship. That's what Jesus accomplished, that now we can live a life with God because of what Jesus did. Now, if we still try to meet our needs apart from God's will, which most people do today, right? We lose out, just like the original Adam. We're miserable. 
But if we submit, we are given an inheritance, a spiritual inheritance, that we can live the life that God wants for us and has for us, the ultimate life. John 10.10, talking about the difference between the two lives. It says, the thief, Satan, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. That's why Jesus died on the cross. That's what communion is all about this morning. That's why he came. He wants us to live life to the full. When Jesus says, don't, when all the stuff in the Bible, God and and Christ, they give us these commands and the ways to live and, hey, stay away from this and stay away from that. He's not trying to take away fun. He wants us to have the ultimate fun because all the other stuff is a lie. It looks fun, but it it ends up killing us, destroying us. The real fun is doing things God's way. That's why he, he, that's the life he wants us to live. Do you have that life this morning? Have you ever put your faith in Jesus Christ? Have you ever given your life to him? Have you realized that you're poor and and mourn the sin and come to God in meekness and say, God, I put my faith in Jesus Christ, his death on that cross. I don't want the sin anymore, the garbage anymore. I turn away from that. I ask for forgiveness and put my faith in Jesus Christ. I want a new life in Jesus Christ. Have you ever come before God meekly and prayed that prayer? And for those of us who have already put our faith in Christ, meekness, though, is not a one-time event. <laughs> it's a way of life. It's in the present continuous. All these verbs in Matthew 5 are all present continuous, right? It's an ongoing way of life, lifelong process. Are we meek or mean? It probably depends on how we're doing with the Holy Spirit, right? It's a spirit test, really. Is the Holy Spirit controlling my life today? Or am I in the flesh today? I know for me, it's that, that test, am I meek? And I keep been thinking about this. Am I meek or mean today? Am I, am I meek or mean? I had two weeks to, God must have known I need another week to cook, right? He had two weeks to work, work on this. Uh, how do I treat my wife? How do I treat the kids? How do I treat those underneath me that I have power over? That's really the test, right? Do I kick the dog? You know, do I... Hit the pony. Do I, whatever, do I do, I, do, I do any of that stuff? Uh, am I meek or mean? That's the spirit test in my life. Am I, are we submitting to God and depending on his strength? Even in trials, even in crisis, even when our goals are blocked. That's really the test, right? When, when we're in a trial or a crisis or our goals in our life are blocked, what we want. That, I call that the trial test. The first one is the spirit test. Are we meek or mean? The second one is the, the trial test. How are we handling the trials in our life? And we can only be meek if we really know God well through his word. And through prayer and spending time with him, that's how we get to know God. And that's the only way we can be meek because we learn to trust God through that, don't we? We learn to trust him. When we know, we learn to know that he loves us and would only allow something in our life for the ultimate good. And even if we mess things up, he could still work it for our good. And we remember how he brought us through things in the past. He brought us through that trial in the past and that and we made it through with his help, his grace, his strength. And that deepens our trust. How do we pass on our trial test? Are we like, uh, are we like is it fatalism or faith? How do we handle it? A lot of Christians, fatalism. I fall into this. What, whatever. I hate it when my kids say that. <laughs> 
I'll say, uh, you know, you really need to do this or that, or have you done this? Whatever. And, oh, that's the wrong word to say to me if I'm in the mean face. If I'm in the meek face, I'm okay. Uh, but uh, but if, I'm, if I'm in a meek place, it's okay. If I'm in a mean place, they're in trouble, right? So, but we do the same thing to God, don't we? Whatever. Or is it faith? Is it faith that we know it's for our good and it's part of God's plan? And it handled is all different. Are we? Is it fatalism or faith? Is it simply gritting our teeth, putting up with something, or, or do we give God permission? You, you know the difference there. When God allows something in our life, do we just put up with it, or do we give Him permission? He doesn't need our permission, but permission from us is being meek, giving Him permission to not to do what He's going to do. He's going to do it anyway, but it's giving Him permission to work in our life accomplish in our life something. And it's the difference between gritting our teeth, ah, just put up with this, you know, white knuckle it, or letting him transform us. You ever struggle with that? I've been through some real battles with God in that one. Real battles. Am I going to grit my teeth or actually give you permission, God, to transform my life? Allow you to achieve maximum results here. And through this time, you know, and I talked to a lot of us, I can't answer all the questions, but it comes down to, I don't know why, but I do know who. We know who is bringing us through it. Communion this morning. It's a time to reconnect with God. It's a time to commune with him. That's what it means, commune with Jesus Christ by remembering what he did for us on the cross. That's what communion is all about, remembering that. Do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Do you have that relationship? Have you ever put your faith in Jesus Christ? I hope that if you haven't, you do it today. And you take that step of faith. For the rest of us who are already Christians, is anything in our life blocking our communion? Anything blocking our communing with God? Anything blocking our relationship. Maybe this is a time for us to confess something, to ask for forgiveness, to make something right in some way, to surrender in some way. Allow God to break something in our heart so that we can live, not so he can hurt us, but so that we can live the ultimate life that God has for us. That's his whole purpose. He wants us to live the ultimate life. And it often doesn't make sense to us, does it? Till later. <laughs> Much later sometimes. Are we willing to say, God, I want your will for my life? What we'll do is in just a few moments, we'll just uh, we'll have prayer, and then we'll, I'll come and open up the plates and the, the cups, the grape juice there. And when you feel ready, when you feel like it's time, just come on up, maybe with a, your, a friend or your family or your spouse or just by yourself, however you want to take us between you and God. Come and take it back to your seat or kneel down up here. Do whatever you want. We have the room. Take time with God and, and commune with him. I would say, though, if you're not ready to put your faith in Christ, then wait. Because the Bible is very clear. It, only if we put our faith in Christ should we take communion. If you're not ready yet, it's okay. No pressure. We don't take attendance. <laughs> you know, it's between you and God. Wait for the next time. But I hope, I hope you do take that step. 
Or if there's something in our life that we're not willing to repent of or to, to surrender to God. We don't have to be perfect, but if God's speaking to our heart right now and saying, open up your hand. We say, no, God, then wait for next time. Because it's, the Bible's very clear, take, don't take communion in an unworthy way. Very serious. But I hope everybody opens their hearts to Jesus Christ, opens their hands to God. And whatever he wants to do in our life, I hope that we can really connect with him this morning. Let's pray. How is God speaking to us? What is the Holy Spirit saying to our hearts right now? Can we come before God meekly and say, God, whatever you want, and allow that to transform us and to change the way that we relate to other people, the way that we love other people, even the way that we fight battles. Meekness doesn't mean we become wimps. We still might fight even more battles now that that we have a biblical meekness. Even be stronger to fight. How is God speaking to us? And while we're praying, maybe you're here today and you realize that you don't have a relationship with God yet. He's not your father yet because you've never put your faith in his son, Jesus Christ. But you feel the Holy Spirit pulling on your heart. You know he wants that relationship with you. We know he loves us so much that he gave his one and only son to die for us. In our place. And we just need to open up our hearts. And put our faith in Jesus. Right where you're sitting. Just God, I, I know my sin... The garbage in my life has separated me from a relationship with you, Father. But I want to walk away from that life and that sin. And I'm asking you to forgive me. To make me a brand new person. Through your son, Jesus Christ. I put my faith in Jesus. And I give my life to him. If you've taken that step of faith, you now can commune with God anytime. Starting with communion this morning and anytime. And I want to encourage you to let me know somehow. Tell me on the way out. Fill out the card. Shoot me an email. Call me. Whatever. Just let me know. It's just so I could be excited for you and pray for you and encourage you. Father, I pray for this communion time that it would be a very that your Holy Spirit would make it a very special time with you. Pray that in Jesus' name.